If you would please turn in the scriptures to Micah chapter 6, we'll be studying this. I do not think we'll get through the whole chapter, uh, Micah chapter 6. Micah 6 verse 1, hear what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is the sound of wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with grievous blows, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap, and you shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. Court is now in session. If you said that in uh, our court systems, uh, that means a, a case is going to be pled, a trial is going to be heard, Arguments are going to be heard, and, and that is what Micah is presenting to the people. God comes and says, hear what Yahweh says. As we've studied, uh, this is the third cycle of preaching. This is the third time that God says, hear what I say. Chapter 1 and verse 2, hear you peoples, all of you. Chapter 3, verse 1, hear you heads of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel. We haven't tried to uh, outline the book of Micah or anything, but these are just three divisions that we have used because God says here uh, three times. 
and it's similar to the courtroom picture in chapter 1 and verse 2 and following, where God says, Arise and plead your case. He says there, Let the Lord God be a witness uh, against you. And he says there in chapter 1, I'm coming out of my holy temple. In chapter 1, God comes out of his place uh, like a judge comes out of his chambers. And I recognize that God is everywhere at all times. But if this were a courtroom and the judge was in his chambers, you would say, well, that's good because I'm guilty of sin. But when he comes out, everything changes, doesn't it? Somebody says, all rise because honor is given to the judge. Everybody in a courtroom stands up in our society because of the judge is honored and respected. In his chambers, he could be playing on his cell phone. He could be talking to his wife. When he comes out, a person says, all rise. The court is in session and the full authority of the judge is then in force. And this is the picture uh, God has given in these two passages. Here is a courtroom session. Chapter 1, the Lord is witness against you. Two sides plead their case. In chapter 1, he said, pay attention, O earth. He says, the whole earth, I want you to hear what's going on. This, this side here, it says, let the earth be a witness. Uh, plead your case to the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. He's accusing the Israelites, but he says, I, I want you to plead your case before the hills and the mountains. I want you, the moral universe, in a sense, to know what you're going to say. Here's your opportunity to let your voice be heard. How do you plead? God speaks. The prosecution addresses the same jury because in chapter one, he said the whole earth. And here he says mountains and enduring foundations. He says, let the whole earth hear the whole case here. Let the whole earth be a witness. And then he says, this is the indictment uh, of Yahweh. Uh, the Geneva Bible says God has a quarrel with the people. Uh, uh, the New King James says there's a complaint. Somebody has made a complaint against you. You broke the law. There's a complaint. Whatever is alleged in court has to be answered. Uh, the person who's accused has to answer for the charges against them. Whether it's the quarrel, a complaint, an indictment, God says he's going to contend with Israel. He says he's going to bring charges against them, New King James. He has a dispute with them, and he's going to plead with them uh, from the Geneva. Ezekiel 36, 4 says, God calls the mountains, etc., to, to witness. It's the same picture that Ezekiel paints. And Hosea 4, verse 1 says, God has a controversy with his people. And a controversy has to be settled. A court case has to be settled. It's underscored because in the English Standard Version, indictment is used twice. Uh, these are charges. And Yahweh can make inanimate objects his witnesses, can he? Remember the triumphal entry that we just studied in Mark. And the Pharisees come along. They hear all these people praising Jesus as the son of David. And what do they say? Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. Don't tell them to say you come in the name of the Lord. Don't tell them, to, tell them not to say that. And Jesus says, if I told them to be quiet, 
even the, even the stones would cry out. And it's also underscored in our mind because Jesus paints the picture as he's going to Golgotha. Golgotha, it's in Luke's gospel. And he says, then they will begin to the, say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Jesus tells the disciples, don't, don't weep for me. If they've done this in the green time, what will they do in the dry? But then they'll ask the mountains, cover me. I, I, can't, I can't endure this trial. God has come from his place. God has come to the courtroom. Nobody can stand in a trial uh, before God. Proverbs 20 and verse 4 says, A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. How much more the God of heaven? How much more should we know that God sees exactly who we are, what we've done, all our ways? And then here come the prosecution arguments. Yahweh's questions address their personal offense against his person and his action. Here's the threefold power of Yahweh. He's not only the accuser, but he's the witness and he's the judge. No other courtroom is like that. He sits as the judge in, in, in the U.S., you might say, and the witnesses are over there. I'm going to call this guy forth. Now I'm going to call this person. But God is all three. And then, and then there's us. And what do we say to the accuser and the witness to the judge who winnows everything with his eyes? And our conscience says, that's right. I did all those things. I'm guilty. Our conscience, and you want to tell your conscience, will you be quiet? We're in bad enough shape here. The conscience is going and, and searching down in, the, in my heart. But, but, but that's what he's getting at. Remember the privileges of the Jews. This is part of the indictment. They had, the, this is the great part. One of the writers talks about the Jews. They, 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 they treated this, this thing, remember, we're God's people. We're God's people. Nothing is going to happen to us. And the writer says, an empty title has empty comfort. Oh, I'm God's char child. I'm God's, well, how are you living in sin then? An empty title has but an empty comfort. Paul says in Romans 2 verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Everybody, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, they were privileged people. They heard what God wanted them to do and they were not doing it. Luke 12 and verse 48, Jesus says something we should apply it to ourselves. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. Oh, I didn't know my master's will. Well, that's easier for you. We know all our master's will. Is there a precept or something in the Bible that we don't know in this day and age? Trapp says, none so deep in utter darkness as those who once were angels of light. The Israelites were told, you are going to be my light to the rest of the nations. Uh, that's what they were supposed to be. But they're living in idolatry and darkness. And we've talked about it before. It's almost as if they couldn't get away from God fast enough. Where's Moses? I don't know. Let's make, a, let's make an idol. What happened here? I don't know. 
I really don't like the taste of this stuff that's coming from the sky every day. I wish we had some leeks and onions to throw in here. And they were judged over and over and over. So the charges come from evidence. But notice the covenant concern because God says, Oh, my people, verse, both in verse 3 and verse 5. Oh, my people. Remember in Amos chapter 7 through 9, there were seven times people were mentioned, my people or your, my people, etc. It, it, it escalated. Know, know that the, the, the phrase is repeated over and over, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what God wants. You say God wants fellowship with us. That's what he's decided. That's, that's what he did. He chose a nation. He chose Abraham. He chose people. He chose the, that, to reveal to them things he didn't reveal to anybody else. And he said, I'm going to make a people for myself. And then in the New Testament, it explodes to all the Gentiles, to every nation. And pretty soon in Revelation, it says you can't even count how many people are saved. You can't even count the number of God's people. But look at, the, look at this relationship. It's personal, but that makes it more uh, convicting. The relationship is supposed to be close. The, the dearer the relationship, the more serious the sin. If you sin against your wife, if you sin against your husband, that's much more serious than if you uh, occasionally uh, lied or did something at work. It's much more serious. You're, you're breaking a relationship of love. You're, you're throwing out respect. You're throwing out trust. And you're saying, I'm just going to throw a wedge right into this. But here come the burning questions. And, and what happens in our society? I get sick of it, don't you? Do you ever see one of those uh, Senate hearings? <laughs> I guess you have. <laughs> right? One of the, it's a joke. They ask somebody a question, they do this. I, I choose not to answer that. Almost in this smug way. And all right, I understand. If you answered the question, maybe it would show that you're guilty. But uh, I've seen it over and over. I answered Well, now you've been asked 10 questions and you don't have one answer. After 10 after 10, he's got to be guilty. Oh, I'd rather not answer that. But look at what God says. What have I done to you? Really? If I've turned away from the Lord, the Lord could say that to me, Art. What have I done to you to deserve this treatment? They, they can't answer. How have I wearied you? Well, you sent the manna in the wilderness... You, that there was that time that you didn't give water right away when we wanted it. We didn't have meat for a long time. Oh, yeah, well, the quail was so coming out of their mouths, they were choking on it after. That's what they remembered. Oh, it's, it's hard. It's hard serving God. Kind of tires you out. He says... You're acting like you're tired of covenant obligations. You're tired of worship. You're tired of obedience. You're tired of sacrifice. You're tired of me. You're tired of the whole relationship. Ezekiel chapter 20 walks through it. It's like 
50 verses. He just goes back and, and he says, you're tired of the sacrifices. I gave you all these Sabbaths. The Lord said, I gave you these Sabbaths so you could rest, take a day off and worship me. And you just said, I don't, I don't want that. And then in the courtroom, notice verse three at the end, answer me. In the courtroom, you have to answer sometimes. You've, you've seen it, right? You, the, the, the good old Perry Mason, right? He always gets his guy. <clears throat> but they'll, they'll tell the witness, they'll say, answer the question. And, and that's what God's doing in this courtroom scene. Answer me. How have I wearied you? How have, what have I done to you? And then he gives the reasons to show them that he's only had benevolence. He delivered them from oppression, slavery, cursing, and danger. They were helpless, hopeless, and cruelly treated in Egypt. And you know what was happening uh, with the birth of their children. Who was being killed? Right? Firstborn. The firstborn. Get rid of them. We, we don't want them spreading out in the land. So you just get rid of all the males. We'll slow this thing down. How, how could there be anything more cruel? God comes to Moses and he says, I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I'm going to bring them out. Do you see the love in that? Do you see the sovereign choice? And do you see what he does after that? What do the Egyptians become? They become enemies. But the Israelites don't fight. They never lift one weapon. And here comes this. And here comes that. And then it's so dark you can't see. And then there's so many frogs around. And then, and then, and then. And that's what God says. But look at the, look at the words in the text. I brought you up. And I redeemed you from the house of slavery. And it's the exact same words as are in Exodus 20 and verse 1. Now I'm going to give you my law. And this is in the context of I redeemed you and I brought you up out of slavery. Think of the, think of the context. The, the false idols, the evil satanic. How strong was Satan in Egypt when... Uh, sorcerers and Satan could throw down their sticks and they would become snakes. How powerful is the devil to do that? What a great deliverance it was. After a while, they couldn't do anything that Moses was doing because that's when God took over. And it's a reminder to us that Satan is always limited in what he can do. But the fact that somebody could take a wooden stick and throw it down and it became a serpent is Satan scary, isn't it? Thank, thankful for the victory of the cross. Amen. There's no doubt about God's mighty acts and there's no doubt about the plagues that led to deliverance. Nobody can do that. Nobody can control the, uh, the earth. Nobody control, con control creatures. Nobody control light. Nobody control anything except God alone. It, it was sovereign power. And he said, I'm going to do it to bring those people out. The next thing he did, he says, he provided leadership and intercession. Uh, there was Moses and Aaron, and, and uh, uh, that was their leadership team. One guy too, couldn't talk too good, but he was close to God. The other guy, he talked better, but he was like, who knows? And, and, uh, and that was the leadership team. But they had somebody pleading their case, didn't they? Moses pleaded their case over and over again. 
He fell on his knees and he said, God, you know how these people are. Please don't do what you have in your mind. It's not that God changed his mind. But people always need to know we have intercessors. We have Daniels. We have Nehemiahs. We have Davids. There's always people praying for God's people. And now there's the eternal son of God whose prayers never fail. And he's praying for us. And Miriam, I can't go into the into the leadership team that but Miriam was called a prophetess and somehow after they came out of the uh, the the Pharaoh's army she made up this song it's just like Mary's song it's just like Elizabeth's song it's just like those songs that just explode out of nowhere and you think where did they get all these words well they got them from the Holy Spirit they got them from their hearts that were already filled with thinking about God's mighty acts and so there that was the good part of Miriam but then he mentions Balak and the conspiracy and, and Balaam's plan. Well, here they don't even know what's going on. Oh, they're down in the plane and Balak comes up with this plan. He says, you say these words and curse you. And how in the world do Balaam's words come out the wrong way? Uh, uh, curse the people. <laughs> how do they come out the wrong way? Because that's what God did. Somehow he forced his mouth to say things he didn't really intend to say. I can only say what the Lord gives me to say. That's amazing. But you could go down and ask the Israelites in the camp, do you know what Balak's trying to do? Oh, no, we haven't heard anything. And God protected them and watched over them in that thing. They didn't know. That was in Shittim where they sinned and they entered Canaan from Gilgal and the, that all set up from Shittim to Gilgal and numerous examples of disobedience. And, and, and uh, one of the writers says, well, you might as well add the entire, entire history of Joshua too because not only did he get them there, but he got them in. And they defeated and conquered all these other nations to get set up in their land. Before Joshua dies, he says that from Gilgal, you went and you conquered all the nations. Uh, Joshua 24, 11, 13. It became a living possession of the people. I'm not going, I'm not just going to bring you into, you just came out of a desert. I'm not going to bring you into desert. I'm going to bring you into a place that's so unlike a desert, you won't believe it. It, it was just flowing with stuff. You didn't have to go out there and say, well, I need to get the right light on this plant and I need to water this enough. No, it, it, God did it himself. God took care of it himself. And then verse five, verse five is the end of his argument. That you may know the saving acts of the Lord. That's the bottom line. Are you here today because you know the saving acts of the Lord? That's a good question for us. Well, I, you know, So, look what he did. There's six things. We'll go over them again. He demonstrated his sovereignty. He, he brought them up. He showed his power. All the plagues defeated the army, provided for them. It was because of his love, his care and concern. He provided leadership. He provided protection. He provided redemption. Now, there's the grand picture, isn't it? How are you going to get out? Well, I'm going to give you a picture. Because you are not going to survive the angel of death unless you put blood on the doorpost. And there's the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. An Israelite had to do it himself. We have somebody that gave his body himself that said, 
I give it. Nobody takes my life from me. I give it myself. That's the savior that we have. That's the picture that we have. We don't have a type. We don't have a shadow. We have the whole thing. Really, it actually happened. Blood dripped from the cross onto the ground at his feet. And that atones for all my sin. But that's what God showed them. Here's, here's the way it's done. And they should have acknowledged humbly, yes, Yahweh, all this is true, right? There in the witness seat. They should have said, yes, all this is true. You're right. But they didn't. The saving acts are plural. There's not just two or three. There's many. There's numerous. There are too many to count. But verses 6 and 7 is their reply to the charges. And you realize Micah is, is orchestrating this. He's putting this in, the, in their mouths. God has called the court in session. He's shown his power and his benevolence. And here is the people's reply uh, as preached uh, by Micah. Uh, I put the word sarcastic in uh, quotes because it seems to me it's kind of sarcastic. It seems to me that it's saying, well, what does God really require? What should I really do? And the two questions are, how can I come before Yahweh and how will I bow myself before God? But are they really asking questions to, to promote them to real worship? We all have to ask that question. If we're here in an unappointed way, we're not really worshiping God. If we're here in an unacceptable way, we're not. Uh, God wants our hearts. He wants our lives. It's our motives. It's, it's how we worship. We worship internally. But notice what they do. It's all outward, and it escalates beyond anything that God requires. Well, well what should I do? And it's just a, a path towards this ludicrous, well, should I offer burn offerings? Any kind? You, you were supposed to. Well, what about calves a year old? Will that please God? How, what if I had thousands of rams? How about that? You see the interaction? You see how ludicrous it's getting? You see how hypocritical it's getting? Accuser, judge, and witness. And the guy in the witnesses stand and saying, well, what's going to please you? How about thousands of rams? What about ten thousands of rivers of oil? How about that? You see what they're doing. You ever talk to people that say, well, God really can't be pleased. We really can't make God happy. It's just rules, 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 rules. No, it's not. And my firstborn. What if I gave my firstborn? Would that satisfy God? Well, you see how that, how that is? That's an abomination of the nations. That's a wicked thing, but they did. But, but they got it right. Look, they say for the transgressions. And the sin of my soul. Well, in my life, I've gone to the services three times a week for almost 50 years. What about that? I was a deacon once. I served. I do this. I do that. Is that going to please God? No. Wait a minute. But you see what they're doing. Micah portrays a crass picture of their reply. Notice, repentance is not involved. The acknowledgement of God's mercies and the many saving acts is not involved. They didn't address what he said at all. 
and the admission of their guilt, evil practices, and impending doom are not mentioned. One writer says they deceive themselves as they try to deceive God, which you know is impossible. And Micah is, Micah's response is, how do you come before the Lord? Uh, it's already been addressed. He's, he's, he's saying it's, it's already out there. God's already told you. This is chapter six. We, it's not chapter one. He's already exhorted them. He's already told them. He's warned them about impending doom. He's spotlighted on their, right? He's spotlighted on all their trouble. Uh, some of those pictures you see on TV, right? They have the helicopter. And the, and the guy's running around. He's committing crimes. And the helicopter spotlight is right on him. It's like, oh boy, what's this guy doing? Right? Oh, the, the cameras, you know? The cameras watched everything the guy did. Yeah, we're looking for a guy that has got this kind of suit and this and these kind of sneakers and jeans on because he was on the camera. It happened at Walmart with one of my associates. He was seen on camera doing things. So I've told you this before. And he said, that's not me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get my lawyer. Well, can your lawyer see it close? Can he, can he see CCTV? Can he tell who it is? But that's the idea. Mike is saying, he's told you already, this is what you're supposed to do. And here's verse 8, very important. He's told you, past tense. The one thing God in Yahweh never does is not reveal his commands, his law, and his ways to his people. It, it, it's not like, oh, I really don't know how I should serve the Lord. I really don't know how I can please God. No, it's all right out there. You cannot say, I'm ignorant of the will of God. You cannot say that. They were given detailed, clear instruction. They were told that the core is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And, and people, it's, it says, God tells them, let these words be on your heart. And people think that it was all law in the Old Testament. And that is a gross error. The words from Deuteronomy and many other passages in Deuteronomy talk about love. It's out of love. It's not mere law-keeping. And what's wrong with the law that shows us the glory of God, his holiness, his character, his beauty, and it reveals to us that he's God because we just can't keep them. Nobody else would make the Ten Commandments except God. We would make it that we could keep it. Oh, I'll go to church once on Sunday. I'll do this, I'll do that, and I'll do this. And that's fine. And that's what plenty of people do. Some people boil it down to Easter and Christmas, those real special days. That's what I'll do. But not more. You know God. He requires your firstborn. What, are you going to kill my kid? What, do I have 10,000 rivers of oil? That's what people look. That's what people do. They, they make God look like, a, like an ogre. Jesus came along in the New Testament and said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. That's what it's always been. It's nothing new. Remember, this God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, that is absolutely wrong. That's serious error because they always worked together. Anybody who thinks, well, I'm glad Jesus came around. Now we get a break. That's wrong. Because he not only said 
if you commit adultery, he said if you even think about it. He not only said don't commit murder, he said if you even call somebody a fool, you've broken the commandment. Oh, that's even harder. Let's go back to Sinai. No, it's all of grace, it's all of mercy, and the goal is to love. The courtroom scene is picked up by one of the, the commentators and says the cause is decided for there's no doubtful contention. When, when you're in the courtroom with God, it's already decided. He says, you take courtrooms of men and there can be no cause so good that it can be darkened by all these shady things, right? The good old defense lawyer. Well, let me tell you about this and that and this. And pretty soon the doubt is in your mind. You think, well, I thought they had witnesses to what this guy did. I thought they had the, this a bloody glove. I thought they had this. I thought they had all these things against the guy. What happened? Not guilty. What? That's impossible. In human courts, that happens, but not in God's court. Micah is uh, up to their tricks. The, this writer says, the prophet intimates that men lose all their labor of evasions when God summons them to a trial. You can trick other people. You can be this, that, and the other. But when you come to trial with God, there's no evading. He also shows what deep roots hypocrisy has in the hearts of us all. For they always deceive themselves and try to deceive God. It hence appears that men perversely go astray whenever they repent not as they should and bring not to God real integrity of heart. That's the idea. And that's what these people didn't do. Oh, you, you gave us all those things. You did all those things. You sovereignty, power, you, you cared for us. You loved us. You gave us leaders. You did all those things. Well, what, what am I supposed to do? Start sacrificing thousands of things? Though they spread forth specious pretenses, a specious argument and it is an argument that, that sounds plausible, but it's not. To excuse their ignorance, they may yet be refuted by this one fact, that God has prescribed clearly and distinctly enough what he requires. There's enough. But they wish to be ignorant of this, hence their error uh, is there at all times. And then the real requirements, the real requirements uh, come up. He has shown you what is good. It's not like a good meal or a good day at the beach. It's what is spiritually good, what is morally good, what is good before God, what is good to your fellow man, uh, what are God's good laws, his good deeds, his good acts, because all good is from God. And yes, in God's providence, we see the framework is what? The rain comes on the just and the unjust. And I do have good meals and I do have good days at the beach and my kids not be converted, but I'm glad that I'm a father. And my grandsons might not be converted, but I'm, a glad, I'm glad that I'm a grandfather because God gives good things. But the greater things are the things that we talked about. The greater things that you can be saved. The greatest thing is that you can live in eternity at peace with God, at peace with everybody else who's in eternity forever. That's good. We saw in chapter 5, Micah said, 
we will walk in the fear of the Lord when? Forever. They had the eschatological hope. They had the hope there. Maybe they didn't know we we're going to a place called heaven. This is how it's, this is what's going to happen. And then he says, oh, man, in the courtroom, in the courtroom, he's talking to this person. You could picture that, right? But remember, the trial that this guy is on, everybody else is guilty of the same thing. He's on trial for murder, but there's still murderers out there. The law is still in the world. He's on trial for stealing, but there's people still stealing. And the, the, the thou shall not steal is still a rule. So it's, oh man, you're sitting in the judgment seat, but it's also, oh man, everybody. Because God's law spreads to everybody. And in the scene of the courtroom, well, that's what they would do. Next case, that's what they do. Here comes another sinner. Here comes another lawbreaker. And he's done. Next case. It's inward characteristics. Righteousness love of mercy, and humility. The answer to the question, what should I offer, is you need to offer yourself. You need to be prepared to offer yourself. This, not a thousand church services, not rivers of oil, you need to offer yourself. The primary characteristic, number one, is to do justice. God always acts justly. He can't do anything that's wrong. He can't make a decision or anything that's wrong or can be compromised at all. And, and we're supposed to do the same. In a sense, one writer says we're called to the observation of the second table that, 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 that is about our relationships to men and then the first table, our relationship to God. Judge equitably and kindly of others, humbly of yourself. Right? No pecking order. It's nothing like, uh, oh, yeah, Russ, yeah, he's from Ohio. <laughs> but I've heard people compare based on just as ridiculous things. Can anything good come out of Ohio? Just the same ridiculous stuff. Well, well I don't think, uh, you know, he does this. As, you know. No, no, no. We're the first ones that get judged, not other people. <clears throat> Isaiah 56, verse 1. Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this. There's blessing attached to it. There's a constant mention, exhortation, and accusation in the prophets about justice and equity, isn't there? Well, we'll see later in the chapter six, they got false balances, they oppress the poor, they do all these things. We, we've been over it and over it from Hosea on, every, every letter, every word. Whatsoever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is what? The will of God. Right? What else? More comprehensive. The law and the prophets, the whole thing. The whole thing is you treat others like you would want yourself to be treated. That's it. It's that easy? No, it isn't. Primary characteristic number two, to love mercy, to love kindness, to love steadfast love. Paul, says, Paul tells us to be kind and tenderhearted toward one another. This kindness and mercy is like God himself. 
loving to show mercy and kindness demonstrates God's work in my heart. Psalm 136, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever. But what's the verses in between? It's all the things that God does all the time. It's like a, it's like a history lesson all the way down because that's the saving acts of God. They're done in mercy. And that's what he tells us. Love, mercy. The powerful emotion of love focused on showing mercy and kindness to others. That's really something. That's not coming out of this guy who thinks, oh, I'll just give a thousand rivers of oil. That's all. What do you want? Calf? Burn offering? Then primary characteristic number three is for next week. Walk humbly with your God. This is something, this is something that we all have to do. Thomas Adams says, you cannot see Christ with another's eyes, nor walk to heaven with another's feet. You can't do it. You can't see Christ with another, another's eyes and walk to heaven with another's feet. You have to by yourself every day walk humbly with your God. And we'll pick up on that next week. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the prophecy of Micah. We're thankful for this probing court scene. We're thankful for your wisdom in addressing your people and us in this way. We ask you, Lord, to have mercy. We, we ask you, Lord, to help us to walk humbly with you day by day. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the power that you demonstrate towards us in keeping your people safe in this crooked and perverse generation. Amen.